The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. All right, well, we're going to continue in the third chapter of the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to the third chapter of the book of Colossians. If you didn't bring your Bible today, don't worry. We do have some Bibles in the back. Don't feel weird. Just go get one real quick, and uh, you can grab that Bible. It's the same translation as what I preach out of. If you don't have a Bible, consider that our gift to you. If you do have a Bible, you just left it at home because one hour less of sleep threw your complete world into a tailspin. And uh, as I know, it probably did a lot of you. And uh, everybody's kind of still a little hazy this morning. The coffee may not have kicked in, uh, but you can grab one of those Bibles. And also, you can use Version. Just a quick update on Version. We found out what our problem was that we were having. Some of you came to us and said, Pastor Derek, I can't log on to Version. It's not up. No, it's been up every single week. The problem is that our church has grown so much that you guys are wearing our internet out. <laughs> I'm dead serious. That's what we found out, is that our internet is so overloaded and so overtaxed that so many people are drawing on it at the same time. So we're going to talk to our internet service provider about getting a, a, a better uh, setup so that way that doesn't happen. So if you've been having problems with version, that's why. Again, good problems, right? Those are the kind of challenges that you want to have. So uh, anyways, go ahead and open up your Bible to the third chapter of the book of Colossians. And if you're a note taker, write this title down, Mindsets. <clears throat> that's what we're going to talk about today, Mindsets. Because as we look at the book of Colossians in the third chapter, this is really what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across to the church in Colossae. Because there are a lot of things that are influencing your mindset. A lot of things influence the way that you think, the way you view the world. And we know that without Christ, that our mindset is corrupted. We understand that, that apart from Christ, that man, our value system, our way of viewing the world, our perception, it is corrupted. But even after we have experienced Christ, we still may struggle with old ways of thinking, old patterns of thinking, old ways of processing things and our perspective or our perception. And so in the third chapter of the book of Colossians, what the Apostle Paul is trying to really accomplish in this section of his letter is challenging the way they think and how Christ should affect their mindset. So we have been learning about the Church of Colossae, which this letter was written to over the past couple of weeks, and I thought Pastor Stephen did a fantastic job last week. I was really encouraged by that word. Uh, it's one of my new favorite messages. I listened to it four times, no joke. If you missed that message last week, go listen to it, man. That was a powerful, powerful word. And we've been talking about this church in Colossae that was drifting away from the message of the gospel. And primarily, the reason they were drifting away from the centrality of the message of the gospel is because there were two groups that were really popular in those days that were influencing that church and influencing the way that people thought in Christian circles. And one of those was a group called the Judaizers. The other group was a group called the Gnostics, and they were both teaching different things. The Judaizers, they taught that faith in Jesus Jesus, plus becoming a Jew, plus following the Jewish calendar, plus observing holy days, plus observing Jewish law, that's what would lead you to becoming righteous in God's eyes. So it wasn't in Christ alone that you become right in the eyes of God. It wasn't through faith in Jesus alone. It was Jesus plus all of this other stuff, and then you're good enough. So the message that was really the centrality of the Judaizers was, you're not good enough. Here's how you become good enough. And that's completely 
separate from the message of the gospel that says we recognize we're not good enough, so Jesus was good enough in our place, and he alone has made us righteous through our faith and our trust in him and what he did on the cross. So we see that that message was a false message that was presenting a false narrative, but people were buying into it. And the Gnostics were teaching that Jesus was the gateway to deeper teaching of secret angelic knowledge. So you would become like a part of this secret elect group of people that knew the real truth. So in other words, we've got the truth over here. Come and talk to us. We'll teach you the deeper things. And Paul was really concerned about this because he heard about this while he was in a Roman prison, and he wanted to write this letter to tell him, listen, Jesus is above and Jesus is before everything. That's why last week we heard from Pastor Stephen that the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the church in Colossae that Christ is preeminent. That means he's before and above. In other words, nothing is better than Jesus. So the Apostle Paul is now trying to help them to see you got to keep yourself grounded in Christ because there's nothing better than Jesus. I want you to avoid these subtle, false, popular, almost mesmerizing and enticing teachings, and I want you to know that Christ is truly the way, the truth, and the life. These same types of teachings exist today. It's the same kind of stuff that we deal with. And that's why this message is so important, because we need to have a mindset that is grounded and rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are Judaizers today. We don't call them Judaizers. And then there are Gnostics today. We don't call them Gnostics. We may call them a lot of different things. There may be a lot of different brands attached and associated with people that think this way. But there are still these ideas out there that would like to get us to drift from the centrality of Christ being enough. Modern-day Judaizers would teach that Christ isn't enough, but guess what? They would never say that, right? Anything that would be false teaching doesn't like have a big sign outside of the building that says, false teaching, come inside, right? Have a big buffet of false teaching. That's not what it, they're going to promote. They're going to have subtle things that maybe the people are good-intentioned, but they really are deceived, and they don't see the truth. That's why we always need to be willing to give up what we believe for the truth. If the truth challenges you and challenges your tradition and challenges your way of thinking, man, you need to submit to the truth because it's the truth that sets us free, right? And so the modern-day Judaizers are going to teach that having Christ is not enough. Even though they wouldn't say that, they put this idea out there that you've got to be good enough to truly be loved, forgiven, secure, and assured of your salvation. Have you ever been in a church like that? Have you ever heard teaching like that before? Sure, we all have. You see, a church where no matter what you do, you always feel like you're falling short of God's love, falling short of His mercy, like you're not good enough, and everything becomes about enough. Maybe even that church would want to teach that like the pastor is like the person that's the perfect person or the best person in the room who has it all figured out, and you have to be like that person. And instead of you chasing after Christ, you're chasing after an individual? Well, here's the thing. It's the same kind of teaching that would want to make you feel like you never pray enough. You never read your Bible enough. You're not holy enough. And you especially don't give enough. And the whole teaching is all about enough. And you wonder, when am I doing enough? It's almost like they're dangling this carrot in front of you that you can never reach, and you always feel like you're falling short of the standard, and because of that, you're constantly trying to work and earn yourself into God's grace, or His favor, or His love, or His forgiveness, or His acceptance. And that's the same teaching that the Judaizers were teaching during that day. We still deal with that type of teaching and those feelings today, do we not? 
Of course we do. That's why this word is so relevant. What about the Gnostics? Well, modern-day Gnostics, they believe that they have a special revelation that no one else has. They want you to come to their church because their pastor has some type of special prophetic anointing on their church, and they're superior to everyone else. And they want you to know that they have more of the Spirit of God in operation than anyone else. They look at themselves with a certain proud sense that they're the ones who have the presence of God in their church and the real revelation and the real teaching and no one else does. They have the deeper spiritual teaching. You don't have that where you're at, so come to our club. They constantly compare themselves to other people and elevate themselves in order to make you feel like you're a part of something that no one else in town has. Come here if you want the best this, the best that, the best that. And they want you to feel like you're a part of this secret society that has all of the real truth. And those poor other people at those poor other churches, they just don't have it. But we've got the real deal here. They twist some Old Testament story and tie it with some prophetic word and everyone's just in awe. These people are modern-day Gnostics that are deceived from the true message of the gospel because here's the deal. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's not about Jesus plus secret knowledge. It's not about Jesus plus good works and all of these things that you have to do. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If Christ is preeminent, listen to me, if we really believe this, if we believe Christ is preeminent, that means he's before and above anything. That means there's nothing better than Jesus. If we really believe that and if we can amen that and if we can agree that Jesus is preeminent as the Apostle Paul was trying to get across to the church at Colossae, that means there's nothing you could get from from Jesus that's better than Jesus. That means there's nothing that he could give you that's better than himself. Otherwise, he would be saying, I'm the gateway to something better. No, he is what is behind the gate, and he is the gate. He's not only the door, but he's also the path. That's what the message of the gospel says, is that when you walk through the door of Christ, what do you get? Christ. And that's enough. Because he's more than enough, because he's preeminent. That means he's before and above. That means he excels and exceeds anything you could ever attain here on this earth. That's why whether or not you're sitting in a comfortable American church that's temperature controlled with a nice padded chair, or whether you're in some third world persecuted country, you can still find contentment, not because of what you have, but because Jesus has become enough for you. Not because of your circumstance but because Jesus has become enough. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And anything that takes the focus off of Jesus is not gospel. Anything that takes the focus off of Jesus and puts it on me or you or things, because oftentimes I grew up in more of a Gnostic-style teaching church that really focused a lot on uh, secret revelation in order to acquire materialistic things. And that was a lot of the style of church that I grew up in, was that we believed that if you had enough faith, that if you did enough good stuff, that if you believed hard enough, and if you quoted enough scriptures, that God was going to give you all these things like houses and cars and promotions and all these great things and golden toilets and all this great stuff that we thought we had to have. And if you didn't have these things, you just didn't have enough faith and you weren't good enough. So your significance was directly tied to the fact of how much faith you could have. And it became all about you trying to measure up. It became all about you trying to acquire the secret knowledge in order to acquire God's stuff. I wasn't brought up in the type of church that taught me that Jesus was enough. I had to find that on my own because I chased after stuff and it got me nowhere. 
And there's nothing wrong with having stuff. There's nothing wrong with wanting to better your life. There's nothing wrong with wanting to change your situation. And certainly when you apply biblical principles, you can see that there are blessings attached to it that definitely do help you to be successful in life. And those things are right. And those things are true. But I don't serve Jesus because I can get stuff. Amen? Amen. I don't give so I can get stuff. I don't have faith so I can get stuff. I have faith because I'm a sinner that's in need of a Savior, and Jesus is the answer, and He's the only one that can fix my real heart problem. And that's not me needing more stuff, because that would be Jesus saying, you know, I'm a little insufficient, so you need me plus a new house or a new job in order to truly be happy. Why would Jesus say anything other than Himself would make you truly joyful and content? That doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense that Jesus would say, go, go, go sacrifice your family and go try to acquire all this stuff because that's going to make you happy because we know that it doesn't. We know that's a temporary thing. Because think about it this way. If you go to heaven and all of your loved ones are there and you've got streets of gold and mansions and stuff and all the people that you love but Jesus isn't there, is it really heaven and will you be content? Think about it. If you go to heaven and everyone that has gone on before you that you love and miss dearly and you long to see again and you're reunited with them and you see them and your heart is overjoyed and then you see all of the stuff that heaven has to offer, which is beyond anything you could ever imagine, but Jesus wasn't there, would you be content? The answer should be no. We would probably be impressed for a little while, but the reason and the goal of heaven is Jesus. Amen, somebody. Amen. He's preeminent. He's above. He's before. He's everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And the message of the gospel is that Jesus is preeminent. So listen, when we should be seeking Jesus instead of stuff, it's when we recognize we need to know him more because he is the answer for everything and he changes my priorities. He changes the way I think. He changes and reorders and reshapes my behaviors, how I act and how I react. So therefore, the things that I do don't become a pathway to get Jesus. It becomes a result of knowing Jesus. The good things that come out of me are a direct result of knowing Jesus. And that's why it brings glory to God. Because if it were within my own ability, apart from Christ, then I get the credit. If I can accomplish great things apart from Christ, and, you get, uh, and, and I get the accolades, then I get to say, look what I did. But if it's Christ in me, the hope of glory, as Colossians 1 says, then it points to Christ because anything good that comes out of me when I follow Christ and put my faith and my trust in Him, it brings glory to Him because it's not me, it's Him. It's like it's Christ in me that's showing forth to the world. That's why the gospel is a centrality and the Colossians were drifting and they were going away to this Gnostic stuff and they were drifting and they were going over to this Judaizer stuff and Paul's going, no, 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 don't do that. Don't miss this. You notice what Paul did not teach in the book of Colossians, you notice what he did not write to the church in Colossae? He didn't say, Gnostics are bad. Here's 10 reasons why. Judaizers are bad. Here's 10 reasons why. He didn't do that. Why? Because he knew that if he taught them the truth and they were grounded in the truth, that when something fake tried to come by, they would go, nope, that's not honoring and celebrating Christ. That's not magnifying Christ. And they would begin to realize what they can stay away from and what they shouldn't. Just like I'm not going to get up here on a Sunday morning and talk to you about all of the books that are on the New York Times bestsellers list and tell you which ones to read and which ones not to. 
I'm not going to get up here and tell you which movies that are Christian are ones that follow the Bible and the ones that are heresy. I'm not going to get up here and do that because guess what? You have the Word of God, you have the Holy Spirit, and if your heart is set on the gospel and on Jesus Christ, you should be able to discern that thing that is honoring God and that thing that is bringing glory to God and that is grounded in the gospel and those things that are heresy. You should be able to determine that because you're pouring yourself into Christ. When someone tries to come along and sway you into something and you kind of want to get out of this way of thinking and thinking, maybe I, maybe I do have to work my way into this thing. You get into that Judaizer camp and then all of a sudden you get reminded of the gospel and as you begin to drift, you go, nope, 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 I've got to get back to the centrality of the gospel because he is preeminent. You see, when Christ changes our thinking, he changes our priorities, he changes our behaviors and the world begins to see something different in us and the thing the world sees that's different in you and me is Jesus. So with that being said, let's go to Colossians chapter 3 and let's look at verses 1 through 4. Let's start there. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Right off the bat here in this section of Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, what does he say? Set your mind on things above. Change the way that you think. Change your priorities. Change what's important because now that you have Christ, you need to think differently because your mindset will determine your priorities. If our mind is on Jesus, then it's going to cause us to reorder those things and experience God's best. That's when we're going to live a life that is truly focused on making an eternal impact is when we begin to set our mind on things above. So that way, when you walk into that job where that boss doesn't treat you right, and you have to get up on Monday morning and you know you're going into this job where you're maybe underappreciated, or your boss is too hard on you, or there's a situation at work that's sticky and you're going, oh man, I don't want to get up Monday morning and go to work. It changes your attitude and your mentality towards going to work that day because you live with an eternal mindset. You're setting your mind on things above. And you're looking at life as an opportunity to make an eternal impact because you're thinking within the value system of the gospel and what Jesus thought. Because when Jesus walked into situations, people weren't always like, yay, Jesus is here. Look at the life of Christ. He walked into some situations where some people were like, who do you think you are? You're just a carpenter's kid. Get out of here. This guy ain't doing nothing. He's causing a bunch of problems. This guy's trying to heal people on the Sabbath day. Who does he think he is? God. But you see, Jesus navigated challenges with an eternal perspective. He wasn't worried about necessarily what people were doing to him because he had eternity on his mind, which is why Christ was able to endure the sufferings of the cross, because his mind was so fixed on eternity, because he knew that his temporary sufferings would open the door for the salvation of the world. How in the world could Jesus have endured such torment and mocking and shaming? How in the world could Jesus have endured such punishment and even that led to death, being betrayed by those closest to him? How did you make it, Jesus? Because he had a different mindset. He was thinking about eternity. He wasn't thinking about the pain as much as he was thinking about eternity. That's why he could hang on the cross and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's why he could look at the thief and say, you're going to be with me today in paradise because you've trusted that I am the Son of God. 
That's why Jesus could love Peter even after he denied him three times because he saw eternity. He saw beyond what was happening. And Jesus causes my priorities and my mindset to be on eternity. That's why the Apostle Paul is trying to get this church in Colossae, and I believe the Holy Spirit through the Word of God is trying to get you and me today to get our mindset off of the junk maybe that we're dealing with and going through now and start looking at eternity and saying, yeah, my job may not be the best. Yeah, my marriage may be struggling right now. Yeah, I may feel alone right now. Yeah, I may be struggling financially right now. Yeah, I don't know what to do with this situation with my kids right now. Yeah, I don't know what decision to make in this circumstance right now, and I'm really anxious and nervous and afraid. Yeah, I don't know what to do with that diagnosis that I just got from the doctor. But when I begin to think like Christ wants me to think, and I begin to have an eternal mindset, it changes my perspective. And it takes the focus off of me, and it puts it on to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, I begin to think, act, live, and behave differently. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. So because of this, because of this eternal mindset, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Because you've got to think different. You're going to be acting different. You're going to be thinking different. So here's what's happening. He's saying, put to death the earthly things in you. He begins to make a list. Things like sexual immorality, impurity, evil passions and evil desires, and covetousness, and, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these things, you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you need to put them away. Things like anger and wrath and malice, slander and obscene talk, those things don't need to be in your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put your old self off with its practices and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's not Greek, there's not Jew, there's not circumcised, there's not uncircumcised, there's not barbarian, there's not Scythian, there's not slave, not free, but Christ is all and in all. Here he's addressing specifically some of the issues between the, the Judaizers where they believe that the Jewish way was the way. And he's saying, listen, there's no more Jew, there's no more Greek, no, we're all in Christ if we truly have our faith and our trust in him. So these things that we did before Christ, we shouldn't walk in these things any longer. We should be putting on the new self. There should be a different mindset, an eternal mindset in play. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above everything else, what does he say? Put on love. Above everything else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Man, <clears throat> what a powerful list that we just read of things that we're supposed to put off and then put on. Where, where in the world did Paul get such an amazing list? Did he just think about it? Something just came to his head? And then he said, I'm going to tell him these are the things you need to put off and these are the things you need to put on if you're truly in Christ. No, these things came from his own personal understanding 
and his own personal knowledge and relationship with Christ because it springs out of him and it flows out of him because he knows Jesus. Because if you know Jesus, you're going to know the heart of God and you're going to see what pleases God. You're going to see what hurts the heart of God. And if your desire is to serve and to please God, you're going to be living your life in a different way because you're thinking differently, because your priorities are different, because Christ is at the center. And he begins to affect everything else. Nowadays, what do we try to do? We try to work our way from the outside in. That's what everyone's trying to do nowadays. Everyone's trying to Dr. Phil everybody, right? Everyone's trying to have an Oprah moment, right? Where they're trying to work from the outside in. If we can make them cry, make them feel bad about what they do, then they'll stop doing it. And then they, you know, go back and do it later. And maybe if we have a drill sergeant yell at my kid, then that's going to fix my kid, right? You've seen those shows? And what does it do? It, it doesn't truly change because the reason they do what they do is because there's something at the core that's missing. And when Christ is at the center, he then begins to branch out and affect everything in our lives and touches everything in our lives. That's why in Galatians it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's a result of the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. And if the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you, then there should be fruit. There should be a result. There should be evidence that Christ is living on the inside of you. If you have accepted Christ and He isn't your focus, you're not going to have as much fruit. If you accept Christ and you focus on Christ, the more fruit your life is going to bear because your life is now wrapped up and centered in Christ. That's how we stay away from selfishness. That's how we stay away from wrath and anger and backbiting and gossip. Is when our heart are, is, is set on Christ and we begin to allow our minds to be renewed, which reorders our priorities, which changes our behaviors, which changes the way we spend our time, the way we interact with other people, even the way you spend your money, the way that you act when you have a bad day, when things aren't going your way, when eternity is in focus and you have your mind set on things above, you act different, you think different, you value different because your mind is on eternity. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, Paul writes to the church in Philippi and he says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, that he didn't consider it robbery to be considered equal with God, but instead he came in the form of a man and he humbled himself and he came and he served us. So even though he was God, he didn't think that it, he was too big to come and to serve. And then Paul says, let that kind of mind be in you. Let that type of attitude be in you. Think that way. We begin to see how Jesus thinks, how Jesus values. We begin to look at how Jesus interacted with people that abused him and treated him wrong. Because how many of you have been treated wrong, right? I think everyone in this room, we've all been treated wrong at some level. We've all been done wrong, and we all have that been done wrong song, right? And we know that there are people that we would love to see just fail or, or people that would be hurting like they've caused us to hurt. But is that the response of Christ? No, it's not. So therefore, when it comes to situations where people have done me wrong, how should I think and view that situation? I should view it the way Christ did. So there you go. There's your answer. You don't have to have all of the, um, the, the, the gossip around the water cooler to try to figure out what to do with the situation at work or with that family member. Just look at Jesus. What did Jesus do? And if I begin to think that way and put that mind on and act that way, even though sometimes it may be a stretch for me, and it may be hard, I begin to act like Christ, and I begin to do things like Christ, and I begin to live like Christ, and it changes my priorities, changes the way that I live my life, because my mind is renewed when I think on Christ. In other words, when I look at Scripture, 
as revealing Christ, I mean the totality of Scripture. When I see the whole of Scripture as revealing Christ and then the four Gospels as recording the life of Christ, I get a picture of the value system of heaven. And it helps me to see what Christ would do. I love verse 14 here where it says, Above all else, put on love. Because isn't that what Jesus did? He said that out of all the commandments, which one is the greatest? Remember when he was asked that by you know, some smarty pants lawyer? Tried to say, well, Jesus, which one's the best commandment of all? <laughs> we got you now. And he said, well, that's easy. Just love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, and strength. And then seconds like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And guess what? All the other things in the Ten Commandments and all the other tenets of the law, you'll fulfill all those if love is at the core. Mind blown. <laughs> but you see the difference that that makes when my mind is on Christ. And so here it says, above all else, put on love which binds everything together, and then let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. He didn't say to try to conjure up peace. He didn't say to try to make peace happen. He said, let peace rule. So in other words, peace is an overflow. Peace is a result of what? Of putting your mind on heavenly things, putting your perspective and your mind being renewed like Christ to where he becomes the focus. And then all of a sudden, peace just begins to flow. All of a sudden, man, I don't know. I could be in the middle of a really tough scenario. I could be in the middle of a really tough circumstance, and I could have peace. That's kind of that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What's the other part of that? I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me, right? Because you're with me, and you're comforting me. You're even, you know, preparing, you know, even, even in the presence of my enemies, you're, you're even preparing me for that, and you're helping me to deal with these circumstances, because you're not going to leave me, because you're good, and I know that you're good, and because I know you, and I can trust you, and I've put my mind set in order to think on eternal things, man, that shapes my perspective in a different way, and now I've got a piece that doesn't make sense, even though I could turn on the news and get really upset even though I could go to work and get really upset, even though I could think about my bank account and get really upset, even though I think about the situation I'm dealing with with my kid and I get really upset, I can still have peace in the midst of all those storms, whether it be physical, whether it be emotional, whether it be mental, because Christ is at the center and all of a sudden Christ becomes enough. So you could take everything in this world away from me and I still have Christ and still have enough. You know, when you answer that question enough, if you ask an American, you know, what is enough, we would have a different answer than someone living in a third world country, would we not? We would have a different description of what is enough. But really, it's not food, it's not house, it's not a nice paying job. Enough is Jesus because he's above all things, he's before all things, he's preeminent. That's why the goal of going on a mission trip or going and serving in some third world country is not to visit all of the people in some village in Haiti and come and sprinkle them with American trinkets because that's not going to improve their situation. I've been to Haiti. We can't do anything over there really to physically improve the quality of life over there outside of just starting completely over because it is really rough there. But yet there's people that are happy there people that have joy. There's people that are content because it's not the house. It's not the job. It's not the car. What is it? It's Jesus. And those Haitian people that have Christ but live in a tent that's made out of two tarps and sticks can still have joy, not because they have trinkets, not because they have a car, not because they have a nice income, but because they have Jesus. 
Because guess what? The world can't give you Jesus, and the world can't take Jesus away. That's the one thing that they can't take. I mean, you can take my life, you can take my family's life, you can take my house, you can take my job, you can take all of my possessions that I have in my home, but you can't take Jesus away from me, so therefore he becomes better than anything because he can't be taken away. And he's the only thing that can satisfy. But so many of us are looking for answers from other things and other people. Oh, if I just got married. Oh, if I just had kids. Oh, if I just lived in this neighborhood. Oh, if I just had this much money. And we think all that stuff is going to make us content. But when my mindset is on Christ, all of a sudden I find true peace and true contentment. Because all of us, I mean, we're all in different stages of life. We're all in different socioeconomic brackets. We all come from different backgrounds, and the goal is not for us all to become multimillionaires. That's not the goal for us to all have a bunch of stuff. If you have a bunch of stuff, that's great, but that's not the goal. The goal is Christ, and if we have Jesus, we have everything we need. Amen, somebody. And I hope that you're doing more than just amening that. I hope you believe that because my mind is renewed when I think on Christ, and I want to make sure that our minds continually stay focused on Jesus because my mindset towards Christ changes my role. It really changes my understanding of what my role is in life because when I encounter Jesus, it changes everything. I look at my role as an employee different. I look at my role as a husband different. I look at my role as a spouse, as a child, as a friend. I look at my roles in life differently when I truly have an encounter with Jesus. So let's read the rest of Colossians chapter 3, and the Apostle Paul is going to shift here into discussing roles that are affected by a mindset that's on Christ. Verse 18, he says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Stop right there. Is that not just totally weird? Did Paul just go ADHD on us right there? He's talking about like, you let this mind be in you that's in Christ, put away malice. Uh, wives submit to husbands, and husbands uh, don't be angry with your wives. I mean, is he just going ADD here, or is he still in the same train of thought? He's absolutely still here in the same train of thought, and I'll show you this here in just a second. Verse 18, he says, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. So here Paul is saying that every role and every function of the family is to serve God through serving one another. It's this whole love God, love people thing, and then serving. You see, when you're faithful in your marriage, you serve the Lord. And you're faithful to your wife, guess what? It's the same as you being faithful to God because you're doing it as unto Christ. Because the act of faithfulness is going to honor God. When wives submit to their husbands and allow them to lead the home, the very act of submission is basically trusting them in the role of leadership as the priest of the home that God has called them to. And then God is honored when a wife treats her husband that way. When a husband doesn't treat his wife harshly and he keeps his heart soft towards his wife and he doesn't get hard-hearted towards her, it honors God and it blesses the wife because she feels valued. 
When children obey their parents, they are submitting to the God-given authority figure in their lives, and it honors God. So let me ask you this question. How can we submit to God? How can we be tender-hearted towards God? How can we obey God whom we cannot see when we don't do those things in the family unit where we can see one another? How can we say, oh, yes, I'll submit to God? How can we say, yes, I'll obey God? Uh, how can we say that we'll be tender-hearted towards God and love God? whom we can't see, but yet we don't do those things in the very family unit that God has blessed us with, or even as employees and employers, because we, as, as he begins to talk about bond servants, you could replace that with employees and, and, and employers, and you think about, it says, bond servants obey uh, everything to those who are your masters, not by way of eye service. So in other words, you as an employee of the company that you're not sneaking around and you're not cutting corners and doing things the way that maybe some of your coworkers are doing, but you're doing things ethically and with a high degree of integrity and you're not just keeping face in front of the boss or just saying things that you know your boss wants to hear so you can get what you want, but you're really genuinely serving out of a good heart knowing that this employment opportunity that you've been given, you want to be a blessing to the company and to those that you're responsible and you report to. That's exactly what Paul is trying to say. He says, listen, this mentality that you have when you have a Christ-centered mindset will change the way you treat your wife, will change the way you treat your husband, will change the way you talk to your kids, will change the way that fathers you interact with your sons. Don't be harsh towards them, he says. It will change the way that you conduct yourself at work. And he says, listen, there's going to be people that they, they're, they're going to do wrong. He said, and God shows no partiality. In other words, we all have a fair shake at this deal because we're all on the same playing field in the eyes of God. You may have a different job with a different income. You may have a different marital situation. You may have a different situation with your child. It doesn't matter. There's no partiality here because God has given us all the same opportunity because Jesus is the answer for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're living in a mansion or on the street. Jesus is still your hope and your answer. Amen, somebody? It doesn't matter if you're the CEO or an entry-level employee. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. Jesus is still the answer. It doesn't matter if you're married, widowed, divorced. Jesus is still your answer. It doesn't matter if you're a single person hoping one day to be married. Jesus is still your answer, not that person you're looking for. Hello, somebody. Amen. It doesn't matter what position or title you carry at your job. Jesus is still the answer, whether you have your own parking spot or not. Jesus is still the answer. Jesus is the answer, man. I'm telling you. Would things change when you have that encounter with Christ, and it changes the way that we think. Because verse 23 says, everything you do, do it as unto the Lord. So I'm doing these things as unto the Lord because I know these things honor God. They're not always the thing I want to do. Because we only want to treat people the way that we have been treated. And so therefore, those who have been harsh with us, we don't want to be loving towards those that have wounded us, we don't want to show kindness and forgiveness towards. We want retribution instead of grace. The very thing that we ask God for, we don't want to give to other people because we are still living in this carnal mindset. That's why Paul tells the church in Colossae, put these ways of thinking off, the ways of anger, the ways of revenge, the ways of malice, the ways of hatred, the ways of sexual perversion. Put these things off. 
because it's not the answer. Instead, put on Christ. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, because it's going to change the way you treat one another. It's going to change the way you act, and that's how you're going to know that it's really happening. Not because you've got really good at trying harder to do better, but because you've made Christ your focus, and He is changing you from the inside out. Amen, somebody. So there's no partiality. No one gets to skip a turn. No one gets a free pass. No one gets a better shot. No partiality. We all have the same opportunity. And that opportunity is, are we going to trust Jesus and let Him be the center of our life and let that mind be in us? Or we truly trust Him because Christ is enough. He's preeminent. So you need to renew your mind by pursuing Him. Pursue Christ through reading about Jesus, through spending time in the Scripture, (laughs) worshiping Jesus, especially with other believers here in a church setting like what we do every week. Think on Jesus. Allow Jesus to be the first filter of your decisions. What if, instead of you going to someone else, you asked Jesus about it first? What if you considered Jesus and His desire or His nature when it came to how you should handle that problem with your spouse instead of your guy friends or your girlfriends? What if Jesus was the first line of defense? What if Jesus was the first one that you went to instead of trying to go find somebody who's going to agree with you and talk about how wrong your husband is or how wrong your wife is? They should be doing better. Oh, I can't believe they did that. Oh, my goodness. Because that helps, right? It makes you feel better temporarily, but it doesn't change the situation, does it? It just makes you feel like you've been heard. What if instead you took that to Jesus and you said, what would Christ do in this situation? And if you don't know, find out. Because he was tempted in every way we were tempted. He was tried in ways you and I could not even imagine. How did he respond? And then let that mind be in you that was in Christ in that situation. When you get done wrong. When someone hurts you, maybe on purpose. Did people hurt Jesus on purpose? Yeah. We can read about it. How did he respond? Let that mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. What if before you made a purchase you took it to jesus first instead of trying to figure out if we could afford it financially you said jesus is this what we're supposed to do and then you began to look to the scripture to see what jesus values and then you put that mind on and it begins to navigate your decision making let this mind be in you that was in christ set your mind on eternal things and you begin to think is this something that god wants us to do is there peace that's attached to that it, it may be maybe uh, something that may make you a little nervous, but is there still a peace there knowing that this is what he wants you to do? How did Jesus navigate those situations? How did Jesus navigate being falsely accused? How did Jesus navigate societal pressures? How did Jesus navigate, let this mind be in you? What if Christ became the first line of reasoning instead of your friends that gossip and always want to agree? What if Christ's value system and eternal mindset drove the way that we served one another in our community and in our church. Because it's not about doing or being enough. It's about doing everything as unto Christ. I'm serving others as I serve Christ. I'm serving my wife as I serve Christ. I'm going to be that good employee that shows up on time, that does what I'm supposed to do and does it the right ethical way. Even though other people at work are getting away with cutting corners, I'm not going to because that doesn't honor Christ because I'm going to work as unto Christ. 
I'm going to love my wife as unto Christ. I'm going to serve others as unto Christ. I'm going to forgive as unto Christ. I'm doing it in the name of Christ and for Christ. And when he becomes the centrality of my life and my mindset is on him, it changes what I do. And that's the third chapter in the book of Colossians. Next week we're going to wrap it up in the fourth chapter. So I'd encourage you, read, read chapter three this week. But then also read four because we're going to be going into that and breaking that apart and sharing that and uh, just really wrapping up this whole idea of Christ being the center. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.